I taught myself. I am always a big proponent that the best learning comes from doing. And I think my skill set naturally, just as a creative artist, like I said, it was always about connection and communication. So I lean towards that naturally anyway. So I brought all of that emotional intelligence, understanding people. How do we connect with one another into the marketing sphere as well? This is Marketing Over Wine, a podcast where we talk to the marketers behind the company's strategies and campaigns you see in the world today. You get to share the strategies and tools they use, how they manage their earnings and price their services, and the mistakes and successes they have made in their career. So whether you're just starting out in marketing and need to learn the ropes, or you're an experienced marketer seeking fresh perspectives, or a business owner looking for insights to boost your brand, you're in the right place. Each episode is an unfiltered masterclass, so come join us. I am your host, Olaumi Olaniyi. Hello and welcome to the Marketing Over Wine podcast. On today's episode, I have with me Grace Nikkei. Is that pronunciation correct? Uh, last name is pronounced Nikai. Nikai. Yes. I had to go to Google to search for that and I got Nikkei, so I was wondering about that. Yes. All right. On today's episode, I have with me Grace Nikai. Grace is a brand and content strategist, advisory consultant, and fractional CMO with over 15 years of experience under our belt. She's also the marketing director of Women in Tech NYC and the founder of Kizuna, a strategic initiatives firm helping startups, SMEs, and thought leaders build meaningful brands. Over the years, Grace has worked with tons of startups and prominent brands like Prince Waikiki, Zara and Adidas, among others. But Grace didn't start out in marketing. She was a child prodigy and former international concert pianist, esteemed as a master of the instrument and the most compelling artist of her generation. Thank you for joining me, Grace. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Totally excited to have you here too. So let's get down to the mix of it. What inspired you to get into the marketing industry? Coming from being a constant pianist to becoming a fiction writer, why marketing? So how that happened was actually accidental, like a lot of things in life. So <laughs> I was considering uh, I was considering leaving my career as a concert pianist. I had done it for two decades. Oh, wow. And I wanted to explore other parts of me uh, to see what I could do outside of that. <laughs> but during my years, while I was touring as a soloist, there were three things I I loved doing at night in the hotel room. One was reading, second was writing, and the third was I taught myself how to code. Wow. So my venture into marketing started from the back end as a developer first. Yeah. I started building websites and mobile apps. And it was just for me, just kind of a creative hobby. I, I liked, as I said, building things from the ground up. Yeah. And what happened was when I left uh, music, I began my author career and this accidental marketing career started because people began to come to me and say, hey, I saw that you built your own website. Hey, I saw that you graphic design. Hey, I saw you did. Can you do it for me as well? Yeah. And I think uh, for those of you who are considering a career in marketing, I just want to also emphasize that timing plays a huge role in it because mm-hmm. when this was happening was right at the start of social media. It was like 2003, 2004. WordPress had just come out. People didn't have that kind of skill set yet. Yeah. And so it was a total timing and opportunity moment in which people started to come to me and I and I greatly enjoyed the challenge of first building these websites and of course then that later translated into event production you know visuals and then ultimately into social media and brand strategy amazing that's an amazing reference did you have to take any course to familiarize yourself with the marketing industry I taught myself I, I am always a big proponent 
that the best learning comes from doing. Yeah. And I think my skill set naturally, just as a creative artist, like I said, it was always about connection and communication, whatever form that may be. So I do have a, I lean towards that naturally anyway. So I brought all of that emotional intelligence, understanding people, yeah. how do we connect with one another? I brought all of that into the marketing sphere as well. Right, all right. But I'm very curious about this. How do you combine that creative aspect of your fiction writing concert pianist side to the rigid sphere of startup marketing? Okay. So for me, I think, first of all, I've always had a passion for building things from the ground up. Okay. And that's always been very exciting to me in the startup space. I think the startup space, there's a lot of innovation, yeah. which ties very well with creativity. But one of the things that, that's actually a question I get asked uh, very often about, you know, all these pivots that I've made in my life <laughs> and yeah. how do they translate into marketing and brand, etc. And my approach to it is that, I am very passionate about human connection. Mm. That's my why. Yeah. That's something I can talk about every single day, 24 hours a day for 20, 30 years, no problem. Yeah. And so for me, human connection is the connective thread between all these things I've done, mm. whether it's as an artist, musician, author, and of course what I do now uh, in marketing, it requires a tremendous amount of creativity uh, to be able to allow a brand's voice to be uniquely positioned and to be differentiated from the rest. Uh, that requires out-of-the-box thinking yeah. constantly. Uh, and that is a creative process. Okay. Now, we know that in marketing, there's so many misconceptions. Being a brand and content strategist, what misconceptions do people have about what you do? They think that having followers on social media equates to a strong brand and business. And the two are not connected at all. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, at all. At all. That's one of the biggest things. So I think the chase of vanity metrics and looking at it that way, rather than what brand and content strategy really is about, is about, of course, clarifying your brand voice, your brand positioning, who you are, and building a community an engaged, aligned community around that. Yeah. And that's really where the sweet spot of how business can grow. And I think that's something that often gets lost in a lot of other tactical things, but I am strategic, right? Strategy is different than tactics. And it's about being able to keep that larger vision in mind yeah. about what it is that you're actually trying to build. Yeah. Like you said, I think the mistake many people make is believing that all they need to do is build followership on social media. And then along the line, they realize that this huge followership they have built, one, is not very active, yes. and two, is not converting to sales. Yes. And then they begin the question of, why are my followers not buying from me? Yes. 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 That's totally correct. All right. Speaking of brand strategy, what is your process for creating a brand strategy? So a lot of it is very creative brainstorming work, especially at the beginning. Um, for me, brand strategy is about the intersection of three things, which is the context, meaning the competitive landscape that you're in, your market, right? Yeah. That, the associations that people and your community and your customers make about you, and your story, meaning your values, your mission, your vision. And it's when these three things intersect, that's the sweet spot of what a brand is. Yeah. I've always said that brand is identity, right? Identity, meaning when you think about it in terms of human identity, 
we are not just who we are. Of course, we have our own stories and experiences and our values and things. Yeah. But it's also how people perceive us. It's also the context of, you know, I'm an Asian American. I have a Japanese background, but I live in the United States. It's the context of which you're in as well. Yeah. That is all part of how identity is formed, and it's the same thing with brand. Exact same thing. Okay. So, since we know now that marketing needs to be human-centered, how do you make your marketing strategies human-centered? I am very much a proponent of emotional intelligence as being a much-needed skill. These soft skills, just in general, in marketing and in the future of the economy, I think,、yeah. um, as things become much more automated and AI-driven. The ability to be able to communicate, the ability to be able to critically think, the ability to be able to create a vision, the ability to be able to imagine, to innovate, to understand one another,、yeah. will be even more crucial moving forward. And so, for me, it's always about active listening and active connection.、Yeah. So, if you are trying to build a brand, and I've always talked so much about authenticity and community. Authenticity in terms of brand building is being honest, being transparent, having integrity and respect、yeah. for the community and the people that you're building around you, and then and part of that includes actively listening to them. Do you know what they want? It is amazing to me how many people are trying to build businesses, and then when you ask them, do you know your community? Do you know what they want? Do you know what they're struggling with?、Yeah. And they have zero idea. And I'm like, well, of course there's a disconnect because you don't know, <laughs> you don't even know the people around you.、Sure. So.、Um, I think that's so critical. That type of when you talk about human connection, it's that about you being human yourself and centering the human experience in every aspect of that business. All right, all right. Now,、um, based on your responses, you've talked a lot about human connection. Is that why the agency, your brand, is named Kizuna? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. I'm so <laughs> glad you asked that. So、uh, Kizuna. So I、uh, I was born in Japan, but raised in the United States. Okay.、Um, and certainly, my work as an author has very much influenced my love for languages. And one of the things that I really love are these words in different languages that don't have an English translation, like an equivalent. Yeah. I, I, I'm very obsessed with these kind of words <laughs> where it doesn't exist in another language. And so Kizuna. In Japanese, is one of those words. It's a word that I've loved since I was a child, and kizuna means the enduring bond of connection.、Mm. And so, it's you would say, like for example, the children that you went to kindergarten with, right? Yeah. All of you had a collective experience, and you may not see each other for sixty years, but when you see each other again as as senior citizens,、yeah. there's still a bond there, a bond that you had because of that very unique experience, shared experience,、uh, as children. That's what kizuna is. It's that kind of bond, and for me,、um, I just wanted to make it a central part of certainly my business. This idea of building this unbreakable bond with your community as a brand in your content—something that cannot be replaced, something that is unique—and、yeah. um, that's where it came from. Amazing, amazing. That's very insightful. And this bond again for startups are what contributes to their growth, whether in terms of traffic or in terms of sales. So for me, it's not just sales, but I think conversations,、mm. right? Engagement. If you go and do a pitch, and I've seen this so many times with startups, this is one of the mistakes they make when they're not clear on brand. They will go and they will talk about all the technical stuff, all the stuff they're excited about, right?、Yep. This is so innovative because of this and this and this, and they go on and on and on. 
And the person listening, you've already lost them in the first two minutes because <laughs> yeah. they don't care about that stuff. Yeah. They want to know how what you do will solve a larger their issue problem. for them, right? Yeah, their problem. Yeah. And so um, when we talk about um, that sort of human connection, what I kind of go by is, is there conversation happening? Are they engaged? Are the people you're speaking with asking you active questions? <laughs> this is, to me, a sign that connection is being made. Yeah. And that can be leveraged, of course, into sales and, and growth yeah. and all of that. Yeah, true. All right. So I was going through your Twitter page recently, and you were talking about how it is quite expensive for brands to create different forms of content for different media and social media platforms. So how do you maximize a content's potential to move the needle the most? So here's my approach. I am not an advocate that a brand has to be on every single platform. Correct. I think that is a waste of time and it's a waste of money. Um, I think you should go certainly where your audience is and the place where the place where you feel most comfortable as a brand, mm. meaning that if you are coming in with authenticity and with an established brand voice, yeah. where is it that you can move the needle the most? Mm. So for example, there are several um, brands that are killing it on TikTok, Ryanair, Duolingo, because they're leaning into sort of this subversive voice that they have that's part of their brand culture and yeah. their brand, uh, the brand itself. And TikTok is a perfect place for that, where you can kind of make fun of yourself and like, uh, you know, do those kind of videos yeah. and then everybody hops on and they're like, oh, this is so amazing. And everyone's laughing. So that works great for them. There are other places where a brand can really shine on you know, Twitter, the Wendy's Twitter account has been killing it forever, you know, for decades with their uh, roasting of other accounts and like making fun of them. That also can work. Yeah. So it really depends on, you know, a number of factors, your audience, your brand values, your voice, um, and really diving in and focusing your efforts there. Otherwise, you're just going to be putting stuff out into the void. It's going to take up too much time, too much. It, it's not the best way to move the needle. Sure. That brings me to my next question. For an early stage startup, what are the signs that your marketing strategy is not working at that moment? Because I know often when you check Google, you see different people come up with advice that once you come up with a marketing strategy, you should wait for so, 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 and so period of time. You should wait for, let's say, six months, three months, one year before you give up on that marketing strategy. But how do you know that this marketing strategy at a point in time is not working? What are the signs? That's a great question. I don't think it's an there are signs. I don't think there's an exact time frame. I am a huge proponent of testing, experimenting, and iteration. Okay. Right? So I am really believe that the quicker you know that something doesn't work, the better. So for example, something like social, it does need a bit of time to get traction. I, I would probably give it maybe two, two, three months to kind of see if something is, is working. If not, pivot. Um, for other other strategies, it may take longer, but I do think that if it's not moving the needle in the larger scope of things, meaning anytime you do anything with marketing, there has to be a very clear reason why you're doing it. Yeah. I think that's often part of the problem as well, because people do things, they think they should be on social just because they should be on social, but they don't know why they're on social. Yeah. So then it just skews the you know metrics of what you're looking at. So I think if you're very clear on why you're doing something, then you can be quicker to understand if the results are not addressing that why and they're not supporting it or helping it to grow in the way that you want then you can pivot so let's say uh you know you're on a social a certain social platform and doing things in order to be able to get inbound leads but 
over the course of six weeks, seven weeks of consistent posting and doing these things, it's not working. You're not getting any kind of leads coming in. Clearly something's not, something's not there. Yeah. So there needs to be a pivot that happens. Yeah. All right then. Now I know that you, one, are a fiction lover. Yeah. You tweeted recently about um, book suggestions and I also know that you are an author, but what books hiring on marketing what books are not for marketing specifically for marketing but marketers need to read i think every marketer book suggestions it's difficult to give book suggestions because i love so many <laughs> books however i will say this i think every marketer should be reading actually everyone i'm going to say every entrepreneur okay. should be reading as much fiction as they can we are in a weird sort of situation with our culture now where everyone is reading how-to books and only non-fiction books yeah yeah and it's so limiting um non-fiction books tell you what to think but fiction encourages you to think for yourself mm. and there is nothing more important i think in any field than that particular skill so i would encourage everyone to dive into fiction it doesn't have to be boring literature. Read what you love. If you love action stuff, read action stuff. If you love fantasy, read that. If you love mystery, read that. Read whatever it is you love. But that will um, inspire a certain part of your brain to get active in the creative center in order to be able to interpret, to be able to think for yourself. And that is a powerful, powerful skill to have. All right, all right. Now, marketing is constantly changing. How do you keep up with the ever-changing landscape of marketing? I am a big advocate for being a practitioner. And I think this is something that gets lost a lot, especially in marketing leadership, that as you get further up, you get further distanced from yeah. the actual marketing that's happening. Yeah. And so uh, as an example, um, I have a large following on TikTok. I have about 84,000 on TikTok. And through that following, I built a full-time leadership consulting business uh, a few years ago. There was no website, no newsletter. It was just that platform. And how that happened was this was in the middle of the pandemic, the start of the pandemic, and TikTok was just starting to rise. I'm a content strategist. I want to understand all the platforms. So I jumped onto TikTok for one month as a consumer just to scroll, to understand what the platform is. is and then I before I started creating. So I am a huge advocate that if you are going to do something, if you are a marketer in social, if you are a marketer in, I don't know, paid emails or copywriting or a website building, you need to practice that and understand that for yourself yeah. before being able to give any kind of advice. So I am always the first to dive into anything new that pops up on the radar. I will be the first person in there to be able to kind of get a feel for it and to understand, okay, what is evolving and changing now on a larger level? What is happening, right? What is the shift that's happening? And that's an important part of marketing leadership because you need to be able to have a vision of what's hap what might happen two to five years down the line. Yeah. And part of that is being really tied and in tune with the cultural zeitgeist and the, and the societal zeitgeist and what's happening and where is the shift happening? Where is everybody starting to lean towards and uh, being up to date on that? All right, all right. Thank you for that. I think it, it goes to say that if you want to know how to use a platform well, or rather, if you want to sell a product well on a particular platform, you should also be able to use that platform for yourself. Yes. Yes, you should understand how the platform works. It's astonishing to me how many people try to market and sell things, but they don't understand the vibe of a platform or yeah. they don't really understand like how people connect there. Mm -hmm. And that's why it comes across as so tone deaf and gross. <laughs> you know, you're like, what are you doing? Like this is 
so bad, you know. Um, so yes, please, please, please use the platform as a consumer first. Mm-hmm. Like understand what it's about before you even think about trying to market or sell anything there. All right. Based on your experience building a digital marketing agency, Kizuna, what are some ways that you get inbound leads to work with? So right now, the majority of my leads have come in from referrals and my in-person network. Oh, okay. um, but the reason why I've hopped onto uh, X and right now I'm also on LinkedIn is to be able to start scaling that in a different way. Um, I want to advocate here because I'm a content strategist. I know how to be able to build a healthy lead pipeline through uh, platforms. But I want to encourage everyone here that's listening that if you are trying to build leads, again, like with everything, there is no one way. Yeah. So for you, lead, lead pipeline might look something different, might be going to another website and, and you know, tapping into the subscription there and getting cold leads and cold. Uh, for others of you who are willing to put in that investment and time because it does require commitment to build on social, yeah. that's also another avenue. For me, I know where my strengths lie and where my brand lies. And for me, as I said, if I'm going to help people with content strategy, I got to be on, I got to be producing content. Sure. I have to be on um, socials to show that. So um, that's that's been where I've been trying to scale right now. All right. Then. So for your agency, how do you spot the right hire for your agency? How do you know that, yes, this is someone who gets what I want to do, with this is someone who gets the clients I work for, and this is someone that is more or less in my creative space? I think... What I look for more than anything are the qualities that cannot be trained. Mm. There are a lot of skills that you can train someone. Someone can come in with no skills in, I don't know, email marketing, or they don't really have skills in graphic design. All that stuff can be trained. They can be taught that. I look for what's untrainable, meaning passion, meaning personality, character, the way they approach work and growth and learning. Um, These things matter to me more than actual skill set um, because those things cannot be taught. And so for me, I often look for someone who has their own sense of individuality, okay. who has their own sort of vision. And the other thing that I actually look for is I look for people who can see the things that I cannot see. Hmm. Every leader has their blind spots. You want to surround yourself with a team that can see the things that you are not able to see. True. And that is critically important and being able to listen to their feedback and their um, perspective and things like that. So that's the quality that I'm looking for usually when I hire people. True, true. Now, um, speaking on finances, one very huge misconception again is at what point a person needs to earn a particular amount of money in marketing. If you research, how much does a first year content strategist with no experience and you see a range, you see a very high range, but then this is different from usually what you are offered. Yeah. So for you personally, at what point did you start making money from marketing? That's a good question. It was a while ago, so I have to think, <laughs> I have to think about it. Hang on. Um, <laughs> I, you know, in the beginning, I think, I think I did do because the first people who came to me and asked me to build things for them, for example, were friends. Yeah. So I did it for free, I believe, in the beginning for a few, just two or three of them. Yeah, to build a portfolio. And then when those friends started referring me to people I didn't know, so their friends, but people I didn't know, that's when I started charging. Um, and I really thought, okay, I can actually do this and maybe this is interesting to me. And I started building my own website and, and portfolio and things like that. I think there are 
only two reasons why someone should ever work for free, just in case anyone's starting out right now and, and thinking about how to do this.、Yeah. Um, when you are at the very, 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 very beginning with zero experience, and even then, I would convert to monetization as quickly as possible. So I would do maybe two. Two projects, maybe just to get some kind of portfolio or some kind of experience.、Mm -hmm. And then the next one, even if it's a small amount, charge just so you can get into the habit of charging.、Mm -hmm. um, time, I want to get in, remind everyone time is your greatest commodity. You never want to waste time. So you don't want me spending like six months do, just doing free work. It's unnecessary.、Mm -hmm. Two, get it under your belt and start moving forward. The only other time other than that to do something for free is because you're financially stable and you have the time. And you want to help someone, and that's when you do it. But other than that, never, never do anything for free.、Um, that would be, yeah, that would be my biggest advice. Even if it's just a token,、yeah. you know, not a huge amount, but it's to kind of really get into the habit of I'm doing this work and I'm going to get paid for it accordingly. Yeah. Speaking of which, this is quite a very personal question, but what is the most you have earned on a gig? Or a role or a project that you've worked on? Let's say cumulative years. Well, it really depends.、Uh, there are some startup projects in which,、um, with one client, it's 20K a month, right, to be brought on as a fractional CMO.、Um, in other consulting things,、um, my rate is $1,000 an hour. So I have also done that. All right. All right.、Um, I think that's kind of where I'm at right now.、Uh, this is certainly not something that you can do right away. Obviously, it's because of <laughs> years and years and years to, to get to get here,、um, to get here. But I have always found that,、um, and this is also a piece of advice for listeners: to not be afraid to raise your price, to not be afraid to state what you believe it is worth. I have also found that the higher-paying clients are always, without fail. The easiest to deal with, True,、uh, because the money is not an issue, and so they just they're just like okay, just send us the invoice, and they just pay you right away. So、um, they're always the easiest. So、um, don't be afraid of that. A lot of that struggle with pricing and being able to really find the right hourly rate or the right rate for a project, it comes down to like a lot of things in entrepreneurship. It comes down to your self worth,、mm -hmm. and it comes down to really understanding where the fear is, where the resistance is coming from. And being able to move that through that, because I promise you, if you can do that, it will be so much more rewarding、yeah. than being resentful and irritated about doing something because you're not getting paid. I promise you, it's it's worth that internal work、uh, to do that. All right. How then do you know when to increase your price? At what stage do you know it's time to increase your rates? When you get to a point where you're offering a service, let's say you start out a service and it's kind of you're kind of experimenting and testing to see if it'll it'll work, you know. And and let's say the clients start coming in. When it gets to the point where you are overwhelmed with clients because you have a lot of stuff coming in, it's clear that the service is valuable, and、yeah. you are kind of getting exhausted because of the amount of time that's being taken up by it. That's when you raise your rate. That's when you know you need to raise your rate, and then you can reduce the workload in terms of the number of clients, but you still can make the same or more、um, doing the same service. All right. Now winding down. Imagine someone walks up to you in New York and tells you, "Hi, Grace. I have known about you for quite some time. I love what you do, and I'm trying to get into marketing. What do I have to do to become a marketer?"、Mm. This is not going to be a common response because I'm not going to give 
skills advice. Like I said before, skills can always be taught. They can always be learned. Um, so my advice would be to understand people. Okay. Develop your ability for empathy. Yeah. For communication. Yeah. For understanding. Learn to understand people. If you can do that, some of the best marketers are extraordinary teachers in terms of how they understand the human experience. Because ultimately, in the end, that is what marketing is. You are making that connection to someone, understanding them well enough to be able to say, "Hey, I can solve this problem for you. I can help you." Yeah. So, in order to be able to do that, you have to understand people. Number one, most critical and often overlooked skill. Okay. What are some successes and accomplishments along your career journey as a brand and content strategist? Well, there's been quite a few that I've been like very thrilled about.、Um, there was a fintech startup I worked with recently、uh, that was trying to move into the travel space. When they brought me on board, they they had no brand. I mean, they they really were struggling. And、um, after six months of pretty intensive work, they landed some three huge giants,、wow. uh, which I cannot disclose, but huge giants <laughs> yeah, in the travel、fine. industry、uh, as as clients, which is great. Um, when I worked with、uh, Prince Waikiki, it was I was brought on board. They they it was a very interesting situation in that case. They had been around as an organization for about 25 years as a three star hotel, and then they underwent a top to bottom renovation, changed everything in the hotel, and also changed their name. So it was a complete rebrand, and they went from a three star hotel to a luxury five star hotel.、Wow. So completely different market, completely different thing. And they brought me on board to lead that transformation, and I developed the marketing. Team and built the marketing team from the ground up.、Uh, so it was like working with a startup, even though they've been around for a long time. And within the first year, I shifted all of their marketing into digital, whether it's social, online, you know, SEO, all, all that stuff,、uh, online advertising. And we had a hundred and forty percent jump in revenue growth in one year.、Wow. So that was something that I was. Enormously proud of, and we were ranked, and we became number one on TripAdvisor, number two travel and leisure picked、uh, hotel in Hawaii.、Um, I was very proud of that success, and it was certainly not just because of me, but because of the team there and my marketing team there, who did amazing work. So,、um, so there have been many successes like that along the way that I'm very proud of. I think the biggest thing that I'm happiest about is when I see a business own who they are as a brand, and really you can see that they've stabilized and they have a sense of self and they have their voice,、yeah. and it's translating into the right alignment with their audience and community. I was going to say that your experience with、um, Prince Waikiki deserves a standing ovation. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, thank you very much. Well done. Thank you. Well done. All right. Now I know that for startups, since they're just getting into the market. They need to find first their personality and、um, their brand messaging. But for a brand that has to fit into a clear, concise messaging sort of frame, how do you merge that? How do you balance that with being creative?、Mm. Well, I think it's a it's a balance. So when I talk about brand positioning or figuring out brand strategy, it's a creative problem solving exercise. Okay. So. Creativity is a part of it, but that creativity is applied towards coming to to a solution, right? Like to coming to an answer. So, for example, when I first start working with a with a startup, like I said, listening is such an important component of this. And the first thing I do is have interviews with every single investor, major investor, every single major client, every single stakeholder to get their perception of how they view the brand. And then it's about collating all of that data together. 
and going through a creative workshop or a problem solving workshop with everybody else, the C-suite, the others on board of the, the advisory board, everybody who's involved with the startup to come to an understanding and agreement on, yes, this is who we are. And then we're going to clarify it and we're going to hone it and we're going to hone in on this messaging because this is what best aligns with our place in the market, with the things that we value and the way that people perceive us. All right. Now, I just have to say, I love your thought process. And um, yeah, I love how creative you are also. But how do you juggle being creative and being busy? Because over the years, if a person is not careful, it sometimes tends to lose some form of some part of the creativity that they have. So how do you juggle being busy and remaining creative? I think it's really important to be connected with yourself. I am very in tune with my body. I'm very in tune with myself. I don't force ideas. I don't create when I don't feel something. Um, When I'm feeling drained, for example, this week, I've been feeling very kind of um, low energy, low vibrational uh, this week. And that's okay. It just is a sign to me that, okay, I need to nourish and take care of myself. So I have to go and fill up my cup, read some wonderful fiction books, go, go to the museum, go listen to some music, do things that inspire me. Okay. Otherwise, there is no source for creativity to be born. All right. Looking back now in time, over the past 15 plus years experience, if you go back in time to the very beginning, what advice would you give your younger self? What marketing advice would you give your younger self? Don't be afraid. Okay. Don't be afraid. Don't run from the fear. Embrace the fear because that's where all the good stuff is. That's where the growth is. That's where the challenge is. That's where everything wonderful is going to emerge from that. Hmm. Don't run from the fear. All right. All right. All right. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. Um, Away from marketing questions, what type of wine do you like? (laughs) I am, you know, for the longest time, I was very much a... Rioja fan, and that was because I lived in Spain for a little while, and I love the I love the wines there. Uh, but recently, I have started to lean very much towards either Chilean or New Zealand very dry Sauvignon Blancs, huh. so white wine, um, the the driest white wine that I can find. Um, so that's been kind of my my thing. During the summers, I do like the occasional rosé as well, but uh, I do lean towards Sauvignon Blanc now. <laughs> All right then. Now, if you were to have a glass of wine with any marketing professional of your choice, whether past or present, who yeah. would it be? Gary V. Huh. Gary Vaynerchuk. I think he'd be fun to have a have a drink with. I think he'd be very very interesting, and then we could just uh, talk shit for like, <laughs> for like an hour. That would that would be my. I would love that. Yeah. All right. So, where can we go to learn more about Grace? Well, you can certainly follow me over on Twitter. Uh, my account is Kizuna K I Z U N A N Y C. So Kizuna N Y C. Same uh, account. The same Kizuna N Y C dot com for my website. Uh, and you can certainly find more information about me there. All right, then. Thank you. Now, let me leave you with one last question. What are some tools that you use as part of your workflow? Oh, I have quite a bit. Let's see. Um, certainly, I use Google Workspace for all of managing the business itself. I have, I use QuickBooks for finances. I use, let's see, Notion for work with clients as my client portal. Um, 
I use Scrivener, which is a writing app for all of my writing. I use Sprout Social for social content for both me and clients. Adobe Creative Suite for all creative and visual work, and probably a whole bunch more that I can't remember right now. But that comes first to me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you for such a fun episode. I, I know I told you I started out being anxious, but thank you. You did wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Marketing Over Wine. To listen to more career stories of marketing professionals around the world, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any podcast app of your choice. Or simply visit marketingoverwine.com to stay up to date.